Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. JBR Capital has sponsored the Intercooler podcast for several months now. You've probably heard me talk about the company before. In that time, I've come to really understand what it is that makes JBR Capital different to other car finance companies. If I had to boil it down to one thing, I'd say it's this. Car finance is all JBR Capital does. Might sound like a minor detail, that, but in fact, it's really important. It means JBR Capital has a profound understanding of the car marketplace and of car buyers, an understanding that other finance companies could only hope to have. In fact, that very focused approach is exactly why the company was started in the first place. We recently had Darren Seelig, founder of JBR Capital, on the podcast, episode 106, if you want to go back and listen. And he explained that he started the company when he realized that general finance lenders actually didn't understand cars or car buyers particularly well at all. So he spotted that gap in the market and he founded JBR Capital to fill it. So before you buy your next car, be it a supercar, sports car, classic car, a hypercar, or a luxury car, even if it's a brand new car, go and see what JBR Capital can do for you on the finance side. And it really helps us if you tell them that the intercooler sent you. JBR Capital is authorized and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority. Welcome to the Intercooler Podcast. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. This is episode 109. Uh, Dan Prosser and Andrew Frankel with you here as ever. Uh, Andrew. Right, this episode actually is about optional extras and how to spec a car, isn't it? Um, that's yeah. sort of the, the meat of the of the podcast. But there's been so much going on. But also, ju- ju- just the ones we like and the ones we don't, the really bloody pointless ones and the ones, yeah. and, and also our guilty pleasures. Because I've got a couple yeah, of Yeah, the things that we have to have. Um, yeah, there's loads of them, but we'll come back come to that later on because there's been so much going on in the world of cars and racing that I think we just need to acknowledge a few things, don't we, before we get stuck in the podcast. There's yeah. the big news from the last few days is that Tobias Mers is out of Aston Martin. He was there yeah. not quite two years. Now I don't know about yeah. you, but <clears throat> I kind of assumed that he was going to hang around for a long time. It appeared as though. Lawrence Stroll 
I guess the de facto owner, had found a CEO in his image, found his man, it sort of looked that way, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, clearly there was. I mean, the situation at Aston Martin um, when MERS arrived was, I mean, people are very... um, uncharitable about the Andy Palmer era because the company got itself into a lot of debt and so on and so forth. But actually, he had a really good plan, this sort of second century plan. It was actually a really good plan. And, and the proof of that particular pudding is actually MERS has changed the plan very, very little. The problem was its execution. It was not efficiently executed. And that's what MERS was brought in to do. He was brought in to turn the great theory of the plan into a practical reality. And he was, you know, he was well on the way to doing that. Um, and I suspect that history won't be very kind to Mers either because, you know, he left because he just pissed off a lot of people. You know, there was, um, you know, I won't name them all, um, but there were at least 10 senior executives who walked in his very, very short tenure. I mean, you know, some of them are famous guys like Dave King, uh, Matt Becker particularly. Um, and, you know, I think he ultimately he just ran out of support in the boardroom and his position became untenable. Um, and so off he went. Uh, but, you know, he did a lot of good stuff. Um, he has, you know, put the two sports car lines into one. Um, you know, all the cars now get painted at St. Athen instead of two different. But I mean, he, they had, the number of cars in some stage of build has gone from over 400 to less than 100. The number of workstations required, required to build a car has gone from 70 down to 23. So this is all really boring stuff, isn't it? But actually, if you look at a car company as something which needs to, you know, not just make really cool sports cars, but actually as a functioning business which needs to make money so it can invest in its future, it's important. It's really, really important. And, you know, and Tobias um, cheesed off an awful lot of people. But, you know, I think that there is a good argument to say that this was necessary medicine. And you may not like the taste, um, but, you know, the company wouldn't have survived without it. So, you know, I, I think I feel a bit inclined to be to give him the benefit of the doubt. Um, but you can't, you know, you can't captain a ship if, if, if the crew are mutinying. And I think that's the situation he found himself in. So he's gone. And um, Amadeo Felisa is taken over. Yeah. Um, and it's perhaps even the start of a bit of a trend. So... Felisa, he's an older man now, 76, um, but he, yeah. he was a Ferrari lifer, it, it appeared. And he's, yes. He was at Ferrari for a long time. Um, and he's bringing with him a new CTO, Roberto Fidelli. Yeah. So we've got two yeah. guys who help steer Ferrari towards its current um, current sort of boom state. You know, it's, that company yes. now is making tremendous profits. It's reinvesting yeah. it back into the most sophisticated cars in the class. Um, really, that, that is a company flying, and people like Felisa helped get Ferrari there. Um, I mean, oh, Felisa, Felisa is a giant. I mean, people, you know, I, he kind of lived a bit under the shadow of um, De Montezemolo, um, and I bow to no one in my admiration for Luca, but Felisa was, he's an amazing engineer. You know, that great Ferrari, Ferrari turnaround they had in the mid 1990s when they stopped making stuff like 348s and Mondials and Testarossas and started making brilliant cars like. Uh, 550 Maranellos and 456s and F35s. That was, you know, that was all on Felisa's watch as chief engineer. Um, so he is a man of considerable talent. Um, but yeah, you said it, he's 76. Um, and you know, and I know that, you know, Aston Martin isn't a, you know, isn't, isn't a sort of part-time job, is it? You've got to be absolutely on it if you're going to do that job. So, you know, I wish him very, you know, all the, all the best. I hope he's got the energy and is up for it. Um, 
but we'll see. We will see. But uh, and you know, and you hope, don't you, that actually what Tobias has done, for which you'll probably get pressed a little thing, is lay the groundwork for a successful resurrection of the business. Mm. Um, but time alone will tell that. Yeah, I mean, Merz did bring efficiencies that ultimately should underpin a stable, more financially secure business. He won't get the credit for turning it into that business if it does happen, but he no. perhaps no. he should get some of it. And, you know, we've heard, um, I've actually heard mixed things about Merz. Some say that he was very difficult to work for, autocratic. Others have said that actually, um, if he liked you, he was friendly and approachable. Um, so I'm sure, there, I'm sure there are lots of different views out there. Um, I think I, I, th- I think he's capable of being all those things. Yeah, I think he was autocratic. I think he was difficult. I think he was stubborn. Um, I think you know he ruffled an awful lot of feathers. I think he did think he knew best, but at the same time, I think his heart was in the right place. I think he genuinely wanted what was best. I think he definitely had a plan, um, and I think his view was well, you know, you're with, you're either with me or you're not with me. You're either this is the solution and you're part of it, or 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 or, or you're not. And you know, some would just call that strong leadership, wouldn't they? You know, he he wasn't put in that job to be popular. Um, so I mean, I don't see the conflict. I don't think that, you know the, the people have fundamentally misunderstood him or or not. I just think that he was many different um, things to different people, depending on how. Well, what your view of what he was trying to do was um but you know there, there there are certainly some incredibly talented people particularly on the engineering side um who felt unable to get on with the jobs they thought that they were employed to do and um well you get what you get it's a good point and the people those very talented people who felt like they were um in effect showing the door or as if as though they had no choice but to leave i'm sure they'll fi- they'll find it quite galling that um we might suggest that Merz has left it in a better state than when he found it but again it's just it depends on your point of view doesn't it there are lots of different opinions on this um so the the trend that i was talking about is that aston martin have now employed a couple of ex-ferrari guys in the top two positions mclaren automotive has done the same Um, michael leiters is now the new ceo over there isn't he so it's really interesting it's as though if you can't beat them employ the guys who got them to where they are it's it's a classic move isn't it and actually we've seen it in F1 recently as well. We know that lots of other teams have been poaching senior engineers from the likes of Red Bull and Mercedes. It just happens, doesn't it? You know, if you if you need the experience and the expertise in a certain field, you go to someone who's done it already. Um, and so perhaps... And, and also, you know, sorry, we, we, we kind of, and I suspect we'll be doing a bit more of this in a minute when we get on to optional extras, you know, it, it's quite easy to tease Ferrari and sometimes take the mick out of the sort of people who buy them. Um but actually, um, the reason that Ferrari are able to do what they do, which is be far and away the most successful, um, profitable, you know, pure supercar manufacturer out there, is because ultimately they make bloody good cars. And they have done it. They've been doing it for years. And you and I are lucky enough to get to drive them. And we know that even if most people who buy these cars never drive them in that way, we know how well engineered they are. We know how hard the engineers at Ferrari try to make these cars as good to drive as they can possibly be. And that doesn't mean necessarily the fastest round of track, but the most responsive, the most docile on the limit, the most engaging, the most fun. Um, they make amazing cars. Um, and that is what ultimately underpins their enormous success. Because unless you have that brand credibility 
even if people are buying your cars not to drive them like that because they just like the idea of being seen in them, why do they like to be seen in them? Because that, because that manufacturer has that brand credibility. So ultimately, it all comes down to the product. Um, and their product is, is the best, you know, consistently over time amongst that lot. Yes, I mean, I love McLarens and they make some amazing cars and I've driven some, you know, some quite good Lamborghinis and that sort of thing. But ultimately, over the kind of period of time that I'm talking about where you need to establish yourself and just get those fantastic, interstellar brand values ferrari have been better at it than anybody else and you get what you get so it's no surprise at all that the people who are responsible for that are now now the people who are most in demand yeah you go poaching don't you um okay well we'll see what plays out at both aston martin and mclaren let's clip along a little bit bmw m4 csl there was a teaser image the press release went out in the last couple of days um the return of csl and it will be an m4 now, this is actually only the third time, isn't it, that BMW has used the CSL badge? The first time on the E9, then the E46 much more recently. Um, and yet, that is a powerful, potent model suffix, isn't it? CSL. Um, well, it's, it's right. They're, they're, they're writing a big check, aren't they? I mean, yeah. it's, you know, it's got to deliver. You mm-hmm. know, there's a big promise there, isn't it? You're going to wheel that one out. Yeah. So we'll see the car you later know, this uh, month. Yeah. So why not? So the, the interesting question is, isn't it, is why not gts or um you know so it's going to be different isn't it so we'll see it at villa desto later this month the the 50th anniversary of bmw m is on the 24th so perhaps we'll see it on that day um but yeah i mean we've had gts variants of the last m4 and m3 um and so there there has to be a reason for calling this one a csl um and are they going to try and find a slightly different character um, by using this badge. I mean, the last two CSLs have been pretty uncompromising track, you know, weapons. They've had massive grip, pretty solid suspension, big wing on the back, very sticky tyres. Um, yeah. Do you know, maybe I this like is it. fanciful. Well, yeah, I know, and we can have that, that discussion. Um, I, I think that this might be fanciful, but wouldn't it be nice if they went just down, down a slightly different path with the new CSL? Um, a, a softer touch, um, not quite so uncompromising, so unyielding, um, more about light weighting. Uh, I think it would be great, although, you know, they're starting with a 17, almost 1800 kilogram car, aren't they? So they're not going to turn it well, into exactly, a but, but, 1300 kilogram. That's kilo the thing. thing. No, they're not, but I wonder whether that's what they're indicating here with the use of CSL, L standing for, you know, lightweight, as we know. Um, and maybe that's why they've maybe they ha- maybe they have decided to do. Wouldn't it be wonderful if they didn't do a a track day special, but they just did an optimized M3 M4 road car? They could probably take 150 kilos out of it without too much trouble. Um, and you know, don't just don't tie it down on its springs. It doesn't need to have huge amounts of horsepower. Just make it a driver's car, a car for people who really get it. Um, and you know, and, you know, in, in, in many ways, you know, that's you know, kind of car, but on another level. That um, you know, the M2 Comp and even the M2 CS were, um, but you know, just a you know, not like a GTS, which, as you say, is just it's a it's a, it's a track car wearing road car clothing, um, but just something that is epic on a public road, on the right public road. That'd be fantastic. I'd mm. love it if they did that. Do you think they will? It seems like a long shot. I mean, yeah, but I mean, why have they? It's just interesting, isn't it? You know, that's yeah. It's only as you say, it's the third time in what half a century 
almost that they've wheeled out that badge you know so it's something special that they don't do for no reason at all and you know they don't do these things you know lightly there there will be there would have been a lot of discussion over the use of that badge because it is it is you know it's probably their most iconic nameplate um and people have said well what makes it different to a gts um why are we gonna what's going to justify using this um and they'll have to you know come up with good reasons for that I suppose, you know, the marketing people will say, well, it'll just sell, won't it? So let's just hope there's there's more substance to it than that. I know, that's the thing. That really is the thing. If they've just wheeled out this name because it's powerful and it's well-timed with the 50th anniversary, that would be a pity. I just hope there's been more thought applied to it, but we'll see. Um, okay, a couple of other things. Our Defender, we won't hang around on this, but you uh, you very recently wrote what was effectively a farewell report to the Land Rover Defender that you've been running on the intercooler. That's on the app now. Um, you had it for three months or something, didn't you? Um, and actually, you're not, say, you're not bidding a final farewell um, quite because I've got the car now for the remainder of its stay with us, um, maybe a couple of weeks or a few weeks. Um, but I've had it now for a week um, and I've spent a bit of time in it. I have to say, I really, really like it. But I'm just interested in your sort of general thoughts. You wrote about it on the app but i thought you could maybe just share some of your general thoughts here you clearly like the thing in, in all regards other than the engine which is no longer available in that car uh, i'm not going to bang on about the engine um because you know it's it's, it's not a purchasing decision people are going to have to make unless they're thinking about getting a second hour don't get a two liter uh, non-hybrid one petrol just don't do it because somebody told me and, and this, this person works at jlr so they should know that the two liter petrol uses more fuel than the three liter petrol um because it just has to work that much harder to tow such a heavy car along. Um, yeah, so the, so it's it's not a nice engine. It's not very refined, um, and the fuel consumption is horrendous. So that's it on the engine. The rest of the car, um, of course, I should have had a long wheelbase diesel because <laughs> you know it's got it's got the right number of doors and it's easy to get in the back and uh, it's got a boot and all that sort of stuff. But you know, I, I'm not the sort of person who really sets a huge amount of store by what cars look like uh, relative to how they are to drive but i have to say every time i left home and wandered past it it just made me happy that it was there it's, it, and it's a strange thing because usually I've, and I've been lucky I've, I've had all sorts of things parked out here and i don't usually get that i usually just walk straight past them and focus on them when i get in to drive them but it was just a fun thing to have outside the house um and so that was a dimension which i didn't expect but actually as far as the driving is concerned what i was so impressed about was it feels as rugged as a, you'd want a modern Defender to be. It is absolutely as good off-road as you'd want a modern Defender to be. So it ticks all those boxes. And yet, it's really usable because the ride is good. It's very quiet. The connectivity, the infotainment, for want of a less hideous word, really works properly. So there's no, there's no real downside to it anymore, um, fuel consumption apart. Uh, I think that they, you know, I said this when I first drove it, I think, you know, that is the best Land Rover that I have driven since, well, certainly since the 2001 Range Rover. Um, it is, it is a pro, you know, I, I think that they've made, you know, the original Land Rover, the original Range Rover, the 2001 Range Rover, the Evoque, and this are the most impressive products Land Rover has ever produced. And I'd absolutely put the Defender up there with them. Yeah, I think it's fantastic. So you spent a day at Eastnor Castle, Land Rover's off-road yeah. centre, um, <clears throat> doing some fairly serious off-roading. The, the photographs from that yeah. are, are remarkable. Um, 
I'm not going to drive it off-road at all. I'm just going to concentrate on what this thing is like to use as a daily and as a road car. This one's got the, the knobbly Wrangler tyres, isn't it? So it's clearly Well, it's, the, it's the mid-spec. There is one more. That's the mid-spec. That's the, oh. that's the on-off-road tyre. So there, there is a more extreme tyre you can get for it. Crikey. But okay. I imagine you get lots of road knobs. I really like that Wrangler tyre because it's, yeah. it obviously does the job. I mean, you know, even on that tyre, it was going ridiculous places. You know, mm. so unless you are a professional off-road, you don't need more than that. There are like 200 quid on the bill of the car. And actually, they give the car a really nice ride quality. And don't forget, you know, this was a very modestly specified car. It's not on air or anything else. Um, so, yeah, I'd have them. Yeah, I would actually. I thought they were going to be noisy on the road. They're just not. Um, the thing that has surprised, two things have surprised me. It's flipping good on a winding B road. You can really barrel along in it. It steers so well that you just position the car. You're, you're not second guessing. You're not nervous when something big comes your way, breathing in and trying to get the steering angle right. You just drive through the gap. It's lovely. Um, it's actually quite amusing to drive quite quickly along a B road. But also it's good... Um, on a motorway, I thought it was going to be noisy. I thought the tyres were going to whine, but they Not don't. Um, no. So I'd, I'd actually be very happy to do a long journey in that car. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to spending a couple of weeks in it and just learning a bit more about it. Um, and we will write something um, more about the car on Instagram and on the app as well. Um, okay, let's just quickly talk about Tony Brooks, who who died this week, um, 90 years old. Um, was he the last of the great 1950s Grand Prix drivers? Yes, Yes, without any question at all, um, unless uh, there's uh, unless I've had total brain fade. I mean, there are a very, I don't know what the number is, a very low single-digit number of people who took part in Grand Prix in the 1950s who are still alive. There's one, I think, who's past 100 years old. But of, I mean, so, okay, let's put it this way. The oldest person alive today to have won a Grand Prix is now Jackie Stewart, and he won his first in 1965, 10 years after Tony Brooks won his first Formula One race. So it really is, you know, now that he has gone and now that Sterling has gone, and now that guys like Surtees and Dan Gurney have all departed, um, it's kind of passed into history, that era. And the astonishing thing to me, as someone who was lucky enough to get to know most of these characters, is looking at them as part of that history when they have for so much of my career being part of my life um and it's and, and tony was the last of them really uh and you know i didn't know him as well as i knew sterling but we exchanged christmas cards every year i often went to his place in ottershaw sat down he was fantastically generous with his time he was always um happy to be interviewed um and he was just this lovely kind thoughtful gentleman it, it, it was almost like, you know, he was just like a lovely bloke you might meet in the street who, for some reason, also had this God-given talent. And I wrote this in the little obituary I wrote on the uh, on the Instagram site. You look at where he won. He won at Monza. He won at the Nürburgring. He won at the Old Spa. He won at Reims. He won at the Arvis. I mean, these are the most terrifying tracks. You know, the quickest circuits. Uh, of a kind, even the Nürburgring has changed so much since those days. And if you think of what Monza was like or what Spa was like, I mean, the Arvis was just absurd. So, you know, he had a, an ability to drive fast cars on fast circuits and the courage. Um, 
you know, he was just an extraordinary driver. I know Sterling held him in the highest possible regard. Um, certainly after Sterling, um, the greatest British driver never to win a world championship. Um, you know, he came within four points of it in 1959, I think. Um, you know, in 1958, Mike Hawthorne won one Grand Prix and won the title. Tony Brooks won three and didn't. Um, so, you know, uh, I think he's a very, very underrated man. Um, and, you know, I'm sad because the person I knew, liked and respected is gone. But I'm also sad because with him goes an entire era. There's no one I can now ring up and go, you know, what was De Portago like? What was, you know, Castellotti like? I, I can't, I don't know anyone to ask these questions to anymore because they've all gone. Um, and, you know, I, I, I miss the man and I miss um, his knowledge. And yeah, it, it, it is... And actually, because he was always around, when Sterling went, it wasn't the end of the era because we still had Tony. Um, but now I fear it is. Yeah, we just hope we've downloaded enough over the years from guys like Moss and Brooks to yeah, so that the spirit of that age stays alive and we, we can all appreciate what yeah. it was that they did. So Brooks won six Grand Prix, second in the championship, as you say, in 1959. Actually, six Grand Prix wins for a 50s driver is a good number, isn't it? They didn't compete in that many races. They didn't have long careers. So no. Six is a big haul. And as you say, at the most fearsome circuits. So, yeah, rest in peace, Tony Brooks. Option extras, then. Yeah. We're going to talk about (laughs) the little things, the little silly things that we can't help but tick on a box or wish a car has. Um, And we'll also get stuck into some of the more significant things as well. Um, But just to sort of get us underway, um, I just want to talk about the the little silly things that we'd like a car to have. Heated seats. I want my cars to have heated seats. Mine doesn't, but um, I wish I wish it did. Um, mine doesn't have folding you're mirrors. You're, you're, It'd you're, be good. Your defend your defender does. Your defender does. Yeah. Um, mine for maybe a couple of weeks. Um, do you know what? A silly one that I I was insistent when I bu- I bought a, a Mini Cooper S R fifty six several years ago, many years ago, um, and I was determined that it would have the optional centre armrest. And I rejected yes. a handful of good cars because it didn't have the, they didn't have the armrest. And I found one eventually that did. And it made... I, I don't know what it is, but I like cars with centre armrests. I just find them more comfortable. I love the you sit, sit more square. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I was very pleased that I took the time to find one that had that. Um, what else? Parking camera, sensors? What do you need in a car these days? Okay, so... <laughs> heated steering wheels... <laughs> okay yeah they're, they're quite a recent thing and before they came along if someone said to me would you want to heat the steering wheel i would have gone well probably not um now i actually every time something turns up it's one of the first things i look for i, I mean there's not so much this time of year but in the winter i love a heated steering wheel now uh and i'm um i'm knocking about in a in an s-class as you do uh, <laughs> of which more on another podcast. But um, that's got a heated seat, it's got a heated steering wheel, and it's got heated armrests too. Yeah. So both your arms. Get, and you, so, you get, so you get warm elbows too. And, you know, I'm just a sort of middle-aged sybarite, aren't I? And I just love, you know, wallowing around in all this luxury. I, yeah. I mean, heated, <laughs> I mean, heated seats are, I, I, yeah, totally non-negotiable for me. I have to have heated seats. <laughs> I love a heated steering wheel. Yeah. Um, yeah, c- occasionally um, when things like Porsches turn up, 
And you know where the, where the heated steering wheel button is on, a, on something like a 911? It's hidden behind the bottom spoke of the steering wheel. Mm. So you've got to put your finger through the spoke and press the button that's behind it. And literally, I get in these cars, and, I get, and the first thing I'm doing is I'm going down there, and I'm like, oh, God, it hasn't got a heat. <laughs> it's pathetic, really. Send but, it back. Um, yeah. I love it. I do. I absolutely love it. Oh, I know what I'm going to ask you. Go on. What do you think of sunroofs? I don't like the principle behind sunroofs, putting extra weight and a lot of weight, actually. If you could pick one up on its own, you'd realise. And it's literally in the worst place, isn't it? Right at the top in the roof. Um, I, I don't ever choose to open them. Uh, ever? No, never. No, actually. not me. No. What are they for? No. <laughs> There'll be people who love them. I mean, and also you don't get, um, you know, I don't mind so much a sliding steel sunroof. Because when it's shut, it feels properly shut. But you, what you get now is you get these huge panoramic glass roofs, which is kind of like smoked, and they've got a cover you can pull forward. But you still get the light still percolates through. And, it, and you know, I love feeling cocooned in a car. I like feeling in a car and dark in a car. And it's all part of the. And, yeah, I just, I just don't get it. Um, I, you know, because you know, there was a time before air conditioning when you had to have one. And they're fair enough. Fair enough. Um, when I was trying to buy, when I was buying my two hundred five GTI years ago, I spent so much time looking for one without a sunroof, and you can find them, but they're really, really rare and very sought after. And I gave up in the end and got one with a sunroof, and that's understandable because you know you couldn't get air conditioning for that kind of car. I knew it was hot. You know, then they had a purpose. But these days, I just don't understand it. No, hate the things. No, you're right. Air conditioning has made them redundant. If it's hot, you don't want a yeah. sunroof open. You want the aircon on. Um, do you know, this, this doesn't really relate to optional extras, so I'll be quick. But when I was out in L.A. a couple of years ago, I realized that when they go canyon driving in, on the roads, you know, the Angeles Crest Highway and others around there, a lot of them, just as a matter of habit, I suppose, they, just, they have the windows down. Um, and even if they're going for a spirited drive, uh, they'll have the windows down. And it's just the thing that you do out there. Um, and I was, I was kind of confused by this when i try and drive now with the windows down i find that extra noise and it's a lot of noise when you're clipping along distracting and the the wind you know that's coming into the cabin i find that distracting as well um and it might be that we're just not used to doing it here in the uk because the opportunity certainly you know for half the year you just you don't want the windows down you're going to get soaked um so maybe it's just a matter of getting used to it and, and you can, and you can bet they're driving along and you could bet they're driving along with the windows down, but still with the air conditioning on. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. It was it was yeah. really odd. So, I just thought so, I can't... so they're trying to air condition the planet. Yeah, I just thought I can't drive as well. I can't focus as much with the windows down. Um, no, mm, odd thing. Okay. Do you know the thing about optional extras? And I don't know if there are any other little ones that you want to discuss before I move it on. Um, uh, well, well, I, 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 I want to give you a sort of a big picture view. Okay. Of optional extras, which is that why do they exist? They exist for one reason and one reason only, which is to make their manufacturers money. I'm not sure how many people appreciate that actually a car, a bare car, the margins on those for manufacturers aren't great. So they make their money, particularly premium cars, they make the money on the optional extras. Um, And the, the links they go to to persuade you to tick this box, tick that box. So they're always dangling these little goodies in front of you. And, and when you're sitting there 
on the configurator and you've already spent you know 60 grand on something another you know 800 quid on this that or the other doesn't sound very much by comparison whereas if you're just looking at that 800 quid in isolation you think wow that's an awful lot of money um and you know we hear stories and i'm not going to name names because these are only anecdotes but i do kind of believe that there are manufacturers of super premium cars out there who essentially won't sell you a car without a certain degree of option content on it the car will just be unavailable um and you know you even hear stories about them saying yeah well you know you need to spend this much money on options and we'd like these options on the car because they know that's going to preserve its residuals or or or, or whatever and ultimately i absolutely believe that 90 percent of the money that gets spent on options is wasted a because you never get it back when you come to sell the car and b because you have been hoodwinked into buying stuff you don't actually need or indeed will particularly want things like you know do you think that that defender would really ride massively better on air springs than it does is the ride in any way deficient and yet you can get air springs uh, on a defender active anti-roll bars porsche have those i mean they work kind of okay no, they do work well if you're on, you know, if you're on a track day. But you know, for most of the rest of the time, you know, that's a four-figure sum that you're spending on stuff you don't, you don't need. You know, carbon ceramic brakes. You know, again, on a track, fantastic. But for most people, most of the time, you know, it's quite cool, I guess, to tell people that you have got ooh, carbon ceramic brakes. Um, and then you've got the ridiculous stuff. Um, you know, and, and and this is where we kind of invoke Marinello, the sort of carbon fiber-lined boot. For thousands of thousands of pounds thousands of pounds spent putting a stripe on your car and i just i don't know um it is so rare that a car comes to me for any reason at all and i think oh god this is a this hasn't got because I mean, what do i want a car to have i want it to have bum warmers i want it to have nav i want it to have a digital radio i want it to have cruise control well you know almost all cars have all the, almost all those things these days anyway as standard so that makes me happy. I don't, you know, I, I I want nav that works properly because that annoys the hell of me if it doesn't. But I don't actually think I really want anything else in the car. I don't need anything else. And I certainly wouldn't spend my money on anything else. You know, huge wheels. Um, well, why? I guess you think it makes it look, makes you look cool. But, you know, you're wrecking your ride quality. Um, you know, they're expensive. They, they're easily damaged. Um, I know that uh, our, our designer friends will be... Um, <laughs> not best pleased with it but i I'm just so generally speaking i absolutely believe that less is more and that we are being constantly cajoled um by car manufacturers to spend more money um on this stuff uh money that you'll never ever see again when you sell the car so just be just think carefully about it yeah and one of the you know on a I don't know, an 80, 90, 100 grand sports car, for instance, it's so easy to add another 20%, 30% on top of that on extras. Yeah. By the time you've spec yeah. a car up, honestly, yeah. the, forget the list price. You're nowhere near it. Um, no. And it's, it's, a, it's an enormous amount of money. And then you just start, have, to th- have to start thinking, well, hang on, if I just instead went for the model up, would I be getting a better driving experience for the same cash? You know, could I have a... Um, a GT3 rather than a Carrera. Okay, you, you have to be chosen to buy a GT3, but you take my point. Or should you have a turbo rather than a four-wheel drive Carrera, for instance? Um, it, it, it's, it's a significant sum of money that you can drop on option extras that may well not improve the ownership or the driving experience. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. But there, as you say, this is how manufacturers make their money. 
It's, and they're going to keep doing it. They're going to keep pushing it and doing more and more. And it's not just manufacturers, um, the OEMs. You know, it's, it's all of them. It's the, the resto mod uh, sector. Anyone who's selling you a car, they will make their money on the, the bits on top, the, the additional extras, because that, that's where the margin is. Um, so I guess it's just part of the game now, isn't it, really? Yeah. Yeah. So don't play it. Don't play it. Just, just be really careful and considered about it and ask yourself if you really need titanium dust caps on your Ferrari. <laughs> I are mean, you going to notice? What is the t- are you going to notice? Is anybody going to notice? The only way anybody will actually notice is if you take one off and go, look, I've got a titanium dust cap on my Ferrari, to which Feel they'll it. probably respond, why? Why? Well, so and what? then you can explain about the two and a half grams of unsprung mass you've managed to shave. So, uh, I don't know. It's, uh, okay, you, what, what is the greatest... Okay, well, I'll tell you what mine is. Uh, the greatest cost of optional extras on a car that's ever come to you. I once, Bentley once dropped a, a Bentayga here oh, um, that had £75,000 worth okay. of options on it. I was going to say around, around fifty or something, but something, that is an astonishing amount of money. On, imagine the car you could buy for seventy-five grand. The entire car. <laughs> That's yes, bananas. The one thing I wanted to add to this conversation about optional extras was I actually wanted to run through the Porsche configurator um, just to give an impression of how complex it has become. Um, so indulge me for a moment, okay? The business has gone what, well. What are we buying? We're buying. I've decided I want. I want a nine eleven. And I've decided I want um, a Carrera GTS. Um, Okay. And I've already had to decide if I want a coupe, a Targa, or a cab. I want a coupe. Yeah. I've already had to decide if I want a manual gearbox or a PDK, and I want a manual. And I've already had to decide if I want four-wheel drive or rear-wheel drive. Um, So even before I've come to the configurator, I've had many, many decisions to make. Um, Yeah, but but in each case... You've chosen the cheapest decision. True. Very true. Yeah. So, gosh, that is not, a good that point. That is not a coincidence. That, yeah. No, <laughs> it's not, is it? Okay. So on the configurator, um, you start with color, which is fair enough. And there are quite a few colors. You can, of course, have paint to sample if you want. And if you can get a slot, which is more than £6,000, where you basically choose any color you like. Um, but even on the standard colors, it they're all... 800 quid to a thousand pounds so the st- there are a few there standard be, colors there must be one there, there must are be four one standard color. there are four standard colors you can choose from but then there are metallics and special colors and the metallics are 876 and the specials are 1919 pounds um so that's fair enough you then have to choose your wheels um there are three different options there uh, and then you move into the seats and there are three different types of seat there. You can have a comfort seat, you can have um, a fixed bucket seat, and there's a, a sort of sports seat in between. And then you've got the interior colours, and there are loads of different colourways to choose from. Them, I find those quite confusing, and they're not cheap. Three grand you can spend on... Inter- four grand you can spend on interior upholstery. Then we have individual options. Oh, of course, you can then choose stitching and seat centers and you can spend more than two almost three grand on stitching my goodness me and contrasting leather then we come to equipment packages the lightweight package do you remember that on the gts 
That's I do, absolutely, yeah. Almost £6,000. And it brings yeah. you things like, what does it get you? Um, I'm trying to load well, it now. It takes away there. the rear seats. Yeah. Um, and other lightweighting things. £6,000, though. That is an enormous amount of money. Um, and then we've got the electric tilt slide sunroof, which we've already discussed. You can have a glass one, if you like, for 1600 quid. A no, lightweight, lightweight carbon fibre roof for two and a half grand. No, thanks. Then it just keeps going. Sport design side skirts, 750 quid. No. Um, this is bananas. And then you can choose if you want your Porsche logo LED door courtesy lights. And then you choose badge delete or if you want your badges in black. Oh, badge delete. I'd have badge, I'd have badge delete. Well, maybe not on GTS. On GT3, I'd have a badge delete. Oh, yeah, that'd be cool. That would be cool. Yeah. Um, but, that, but presumably that's, that's a no-cost option. You have to pay to have your badge removed. Uh, I don't think so. I don't think so. But you can have it in black or in a different finish or whatever, and you do have to pay for that. Yeah. Um, and then we've got, as a no-cost option, standard Porsche Active suspension management instead of the minus 10 mil drop sport suspension. Um, I suspect I'd have that because I don't really want... I'd have that, yeah. But that's not an option, is it? That's kind of like standard. It, it's that's a, almost a sort of well, it comes with reverse the, option. Yeah, it comes with the, the minus 10 mil ride height sport as standard yeah. but you can for no yes. cost have the <laughs> yeah it's confusing have the um yeah but i mean that's like that, that's like having a car with an automatic gearbox as standard and then saying yeah. all the manuals are no cost option whereas in the past it was always in the manual or something then you paid extra for the auto so in fact all they're doing is charging you the same for the manual which is cheaper for them yeah. than they were for the auto the, the manual should cost less yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, it, as should the sound of the suspension so they're, they're, they're appearing to be really generous or we're not charging you for this but in fact they're already charging <laughs> you for the one you don't want yeah thank you then you can have a front axle lift which is handy um yeah, that I, I would. That I'd have that. Yeah, and I, you know, I'm, I can't go into all of it because it's just phenomenally detailed and complex. But the point I really wanted to make, apart from that, is there are things that fundamentally change how the car drives, particularly rear wheel steering, which is not cheap. Yeah. Would you have it? Depending on for the road on a nine eleven. No, I love it on big barges. Yeah, because of that wheelbase shortening effect and the effect it has on the turning circle, that sort of thing. If I was using it, um, you know, as a sort of road and track thing, then I might think about. It. I mean, I have driven. In fact, I had a long term 911 with rear wheel steer, and it was good. Um, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't say it was. It was transformative, and I certainly wouldn't have the active anti roll bars on it because I had that on the same car, and I never used them. They they, they ruin the ride on the road mm. and on the track. The other car is more than good enough without them. Yeah. So uh, you know, I. If you left me alone for 10 minutes, uh, I could, I'm sure, spec a basic GTS up to 150 without really trying terribly hard, which is, and it's not just Porsche who does this, of course, but it's illustrative, isn't it? Can I make a point here? Yeah, it is. And that term, basic GTS, is actually a contradiction in terms, because your starting point with with this a GTS mm. is meant to be the well-equipped one, isn't it? Yeah. The GTS is the one is like the S with you know with a bit more power, but all the goodies you'd have to usually option into an S. So your baseline start point is already should be a very well-equipped car, and yet you can still, as you say, splurge another fifty, you know, probably half as much again as you've already spent on the car, um, just putting stuff on it. Oh. Do you remember? Do you remember that white nine nine two Carrera that they had? Which which was basically poverty spec nine eleven. Yeah, uh, they might still have it. 
I can remember that, that coming here. And I, I went twiddling about that. I couldn't remember for a moment thinking, oh, bloody hell, this hasn't got this, this hasn't got, got that. It was lovely. Mm. It was also standard uh, rims. It had, it had a sports exhaust, but that was it. It had standard suspension. It had, it had steel brakes. It was on standard wheels and tyres. And it was just lovely. Yeah, there was a and green you know, one. I, I don't want... Aventura is green, that? isn't it? There was a green one before that white one. Again, similarly simple. It's just a Carrera, so you can't have a manual gearbox in the Carrera. You need the S for that. Um, but that yeah. aside, I think it's the sweetest 992 I've driven. It was, it was absolutely gorgeous. Um, yeah, there you go. I mean, it is this whole the world of optional extras is bananas, isn't it? But there's a good reason for it. it. They make money from it, and they're going to keep yeah, doing it. But that doesn't mean you have to play that game. No, no, you really don't have to if you don't want to. Um, okay, well, all that's left uh, for this episode now is the listener question, um, and I've, I hope you've given this a little bit of thought because I'm. It's got me stumped, I have to say, but I know you'll have something. Have, 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 have you told me what it is yet? I did send it to you, but I, I think you'll come up with something off the top of your head any, anyway. It'll be a good test. Um, before we come to that, thank you, JBR Capital, for sponsoring the podcast, as ever. It's great having you guys on board. So if you're looking to finance your next car, um, just go and talk to JBR Capital and see what they can do for you. Um, please rate and review the podcast. Wherever you listen to your podcast or watch the podcast, please subscribe or follow um that really makes a huge difference so please do do that if you haven't done so already the listener question then comes from chris b allen um what is your favorite against all odds racing story it doesn't even need to be a success but i guess chris is after some kind of david and goliath or you know um uh, achieving something remarkable against vanishing odds um it can be any strand of motorsport you like. Should we give you a moment? Okay. Um, this won't be a very satisfactory answer because it's just me banging on about old Bentleys again, but it's the first one popped into my <laughs> mind. So 1927, Le Mans, 3-litre um, Bentley gets involved in an enormous accident which takes out the whole of the rest of the Bentley team. Uh, the car is presumed to be written off. It only has one headlight. It has a completely bent chassis and the brakes aren't working properly. Um, and they put it back out into the race just to see if the thing will even function. And it won the race by a greater margin than any car in the history of that race up until this day. No car has ever won by a greater margin. I and think that's a car fantastic. That was presumably written off. I think that's a fantastic answer. Brilliant. Well, Sammy Davis... Yeah. Sports editor of Autocar and eminent bacteriologist Dr. Dudley Benjafield, who also hated driving at night, and he did hour after hour at night in a in a 1927 Bentley, which even with both headlights working basically has no lights, and he did it with one headlight. And they had a torch strapped to the running board as well. <laughs> That's how bad it was. I'm so sure I think that yeah, there you go. Off the top of my head, I'm sure I can think of another one, but off the top of my head, and I did see that you sent that through, but I just didn't give it any thought until now. But yeah, there you go. Okay. Well, there you go, Chris. I thought that was quite a good answer. So get your listener questions in, please, because it's a fun way to end the podcast. Um, and we'll be back yes, next please. week. Before that. All the best.
imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.